is in uh, keeping with our uh, true fairness doctrine and uh, total objectivity personified uh, policy here. We got uh, that policy, you know, uh, perspectives united. What do you mean? That's not, that's all. That sounds good. All that stuff. Well, listen, uh, for those of you who are just about to tune your dial there, look out, friend. I have electrified every dial in the town. You're liable to get your thing blown right off. So uh, just just relax there. Just just relax now. It's true. I ain't John Gambling or other, you know, big talents like that. But after all, it's late at night, and uh, well, you know what we say around here. We just say, well, what the hell? That's what we say. So. All right, forget up there, Baker. Oh, yes, yes. I, what I was going to say is that I'm going to have an exceedingly, in fact, an almost excruciatingly exciting program tonight. So thrilling. And uh, you just hang around there and stand at one foot and then on the other foot. And then when you really have to, well, we'll excuse you for a couple of minutes. But uh, bring it up there. <laughs> I didn't say anything about the Mets last night. If you listen to the program last night, was because I was at Shea Stadium. Yep, I was at Shea Stadium. And you talk about a, uh, a thrilling odyssey. You know, I felt like, uh, you know, one of these, uh, well, these people take thrilling odysseys, you know. Uh, I was all the way out in Cincinnati, appearing on a TV show out there. They have TV out there, you know. It's very exciting out there. They have these wind-driven transmitters and stuff. And, uh, you know, water-cooled tubes and everything. And, and I was, yeah, oh, yeah. And, in fact, there's a rumor out there in Cincinnati that, uh, that uh, they perfected color. And they may have color. And uh, there was a big fight I, there was in the control and the big fist fight. Somebody said that they, they got a thing called a coaxial cable now. Yeah, and you know that out, as there are some places so far out in the boondocks that they're still getting Jerry Lester and Dagmar. And it's a new big show. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I was out there in Cincinnati, see, and uh, very exciting. And uh, I flew back. I took the next plane back. In fact, that's the best thing to do when you're in Cincinnati. I, I, I took the, the next plane back to get to Shea Stadium. And I jumped out of it because I had a ticket. See, this friend of mine, uh, he... Uh, he had this ticket, and he he couldn't use it. He had well, he actually he used one. He had two tickets. He had one for himself, and one for this guy that he just killed. So uh, he had an extra ticket. So uh, I was very excited. He called me. He says, "You want to see the last game out here?" And I said, "Yeah, that's right, Danny. In case you're interested, who it was? Old Danny over at the, over at Manny's Music. See, and he and I were old buddies, and we you know we sit around. And we uh, we tie broken guitar strings together there many times in the evening. He sells them, you know, and and uh, so." Uh, it, we, I got off the plane. Now, now, this this is the whole point of the story. I came rushing out, and of course, the usual hassle at LaGuardia uh, with the cabs. Uh, you, you know, today the cabbies are getting to the point now where uh, you have to go where the cabbie wants to go. Now, uh, that's right. Oh, you don't tell a cabbie where where you're going because he gets bugged. Uh, you you go where he wants to go. So you holler, "Hey, where are you going?" He says, "I'm going down to Twenty Third and Park. There's a cafeteria there." It's okay. I mean, of course, then you have to walk 328 blocks to where you're going, get mugged six times between the 
where he lets you off and where you're going. But uh, anyway, so nine different cabs and I had a fight when I told him I wanted to go to Shea Stadium for LaGuardia. See, they kept saying, oh, you can't get there from here. Said, what do you mean? You're out of your bird. I could see it. You know, when you're at Shea Stadium, when you're at LaGuardia, you can see the field right over there. They kept saying, oh, you can't get there. You slop from here. What do you think this is? It's the airport. This is a $28 trip. That's all I'm here for. Well, so finally, I, I, pulled, a, I pulled a bad thing on a guy, see? He, uh, after I was turned down by four cabs, turned down flat. It was so embarrassing, you know. I hate to get, I hate to flunk an audition with a cab. I mean, I don't want flunking giant auditions, you know, but when you start flunking auditions with cabs, it's bad. Little skinny ladies were getting in and had them in. So finally, this guy pulls up, see, cab. So I've been first in line now, you know, for eight different turns, and they wouldn't take me. So finally, the guy comes up, and he drives up, and he says, Where you going, Mac? I says, I'm going to Westchester. Oh, he sees a big fatty there, you know. Oh, wow, you know, it's a you know, $100 tip, see. And I looked, uh, I was wearing my new sport coat, the one I got four years ago at Robert Hall, see, and it's a real groovy one. It's, it's got these tinfoil sleeves, and you know, it shines in the dark, and it looks very groovy. So, yeah, it, has a, it lights up, too. It's got these shoulder pads. And so, uh, I, you know, I looked like ready money. The old man says it looked like ready money. So, uh, he pulls up, where are you going? I said, Westchester. He said, oh, get in, get in. I jump in the can, start putting in gear, and then I said, oh, no, oh, oh, oh yeah, I forgot. I, I got to get to Shea Stadium. You could see his neck get red. I euchred him. Well, hooray, Shepard won one. So, uh, uh, oh, yeah, you know, you could just see this guy, see. He's, what do you mean, Shea Stadium? You can't get there from here. I said, let me drive. I'll take you. I said, I can see it right over there. I know how to get there. Well, after, you know, a lot of yelling and hollering, we finally got to Shea Stadium, and is now, is now about, Oh, 15 minutes into the game. And Shepard goes into this, you know, the stadium there, and it was fantastic. I mean, you could just, it was electric. You could just, you could just feel this, the atmosphere. It's like a, like a giant, a, a beehive about to explode. See? Well, already the score, see, I missed the whole big first inning, so already the score was five to nothing. But that didn't matter, you see. You could just feel the building up, building up. Every every time some, some guy hit a foul tip, you'd hear, ah! The crowd, you know, was, I've been to many a World Series, but this was something else, see. So uh, I am sitting right directly, and this is, this is, this is stuff you're going to hear tonight you have not heard about, the big night. Uh, I am sitting right on the field. This uh, friend of mine has this field box. In fact, this is the only true Met I know. I don't know who these dildocks were that won the, the big Met contest. You know, half of these people probably discovered the Mets, you know, about the time that the uh, that the World's Fair started, and they were already in Shea. But, but Danny has seen every night game since the Mets began in 1962, and he has seen every day game that he can get. He only has two days off a week, see? He sees every one. He never misses. He's seen every one. So, so all right, here's Danny. Right? At the moment of fantastic truth, and it's like, you know, it's like, uh, it must have been like Columbus discovering America or something. You know, for years he's been figuring he's going to fall off the end of the earth. And uh, now here he is. He's pulling up. What does he see? Miami Beach. And he can't believe it. So, uh, yeah, you know, Eddie Fish is playing there at the Fontainebleau. So, uh, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's, uh, I'm not going to get into the whole, you know, the whole cream cheese and locks scene here right now. But nevertheless, Danny is sitting right on the field. Now, I'm sitting right next to Danny. We're right on the field. And we are between, get this, we are between the St. Louis Cardinal dugout and the backstop which is behind home plate. I'll tell you, we had a better view of that game than half of the hitters. In fact, I'll tell you, some of those hitters didn't have any view of the game, the way they were swinging. 
So uh, I'm sitting right there, right on the feet, see. And I look back up behind me. And, of course, as you know, out at Shea Stadium, most of the people really are not interested in baseball. Uh, most of them are interested in TV. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're all, this is a total TV crowd. In fact, uh, I kept wondering what they're looking at, see. And here's a big ball game going on. And it turns out they keep, you know, they pick up the cameras of the entire crowd. This is a total clutch crowd out there. See, they're all, oh, hey, Manny, I want television, hey, Manny. And they're yelling and holler, all standing on a seat, you know, waving things and all that. And I can hear Lindsey Nelson up there blatting away, see. And, and the ball game is continuing on. And, uh, of course, uh, I'm in the middle of this uh, clutch crowd that's sitting down here. So this is not a, a baseball crowd. They don't know much about baseball. They really don't. But they know a lot about Eddie Cranepool and uh, Ron Swoboda and how to make signs. This is this is their specialty. So, anyway, that the thing is building up. It's, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I'm watching the cards. Now, this is, this is the great drama. I, I wonder why, uh, you know, TV sports announcers, sports announcers in general, I'm telling you as a guy who used to do play-by-play, why they are so unimaginative today. You know, the, the typical comment is, uh, to say, Frank, uh, do you agree that uh, Mickey Mantle was a great credit to the game? Why, yes, uh, Phil, that's true. I, I believe that uh, Mickey Mantle was an inspiration to the youth of America. Well, that's what I say, Frank, and... Uh, do you agree that uh, if his legs had been uh, a little bit better, he would have been one of the all-time greats? Well, Phil, I believe he is one of the... This is typical commentary as he goes on like that. And it's good for the youth of America. Well, uh, I'm sitting right down on the field. Now, maybe you don't know, if you're a non-baseball type, maybe you don't know some of the real drama. The real drama was not the Mets last night. It was the Cardinals. You must realize that the Cardinals were picked universally by everybody in the country to run away with their division. Universally, friends. And they ain't running away with no division. They ain't running away with nothing. And here they are. And I'm sitting right next to them. And here's Joe Torrey, who is from Brooklyn. Joe Torrey looks more like a ball player than a ball player has a right to look. Oh, he's got that square jaw bronzed. He's got a pair of shoulders on him, believe me, to make the average bull look like a gerbil. He is, you know, he's a real, oh yeah. And Joe is, is, is in the on-deck circle right ahead of us. He's just looking out there and he's got a battered helmet, that St. Louis helmet, all battered and you can see it's it's all kicked and been scratched and all. It's been a long season. See, you can see his uniform is all kind of, what the heck is that noise? What's going on up there? Is, is gambling doing his tap dance again at this hour? There it goes. So anyway, <laughs> I, I, all the years I've been using the studio and everything like that. Friends, if this building is falling down, you're going to get a play-by-play that won't stop. But uh, So stay tuned. But uh, nevertheless, I'm watching Lou Brock. Now, Lou Brock is a, is a whippet of a man. Lou Brock is, is one, of the, one of the most... Uh, he's, he is. He, he looks like a whippet. He's got these sharp, he's got a wasp waist, and he's got these, these two, these two uh, kind of uh, feel-like eyes. And he, he looks like, well, he looks like a razor blade. And he has his hat pulled down low. Brock, you see, he's up at up the plate. And Gentry is pitching. And this crowd, every pitch, wow! And then I see a head come out. Just stick out of the dugout a little bit and look around. And it's this bland face, absolutely expressionless. Who is it? Bob Gibson. 
one of the great pitchers of a modern era. And a couple of minutes later, I see uh, Red Shandienst, the, the manager, who was one of the great second basemen, by the way, of probably the last 30 or 40 years, and a fine manager. And Red Shandienst comes out of the dugout, and he picks up, picks up something and walks back in. His face is totally expressionless. Not, not one single... You couldn't tell. There was no excitement, no happiness, no anger, nothing. They were, they were like, uh, have you ever gone to a reptile house? and walked around and looked at the snakes. There's no expression. Well, that's the way the cardinals were. And they were getting... It was the last... It was like the last nail was being driven into the coffin of the 1969 season. And a lot of the cardinals ain't going to be back to the cardinals next year. And you know why? Very high-priced ball players. And, uh, and uh, it's pretty hard to, to keep up that kind of a payroll when you... You're not winning the pennant, see? So, so here's Dal Maxwell, see? Another man, another, another razor-like player. He's, he's, he's very, very sharp. Willowy is the word uh, that, uh, that Kurt Gowdy always uses. He's a, no, he, he calls him lean. He's willowy, actually. And Dal Maxwell comes out, and he gets in the on-deck circle. He just looks around the crowd a little bit, just vaguely, just looks. And I'm looking right at his face. I'm 15 feet away. See, no expression whatsoever. And he picks up the uh, he picks up the pine tar rag. See, a little bit on the hand. He wipes the bat, and the crowd. And they're carrying big signs. And everybody thinks that the drama was the Chicago Cubs because they all had signs about the Cubs out there. The Cubs. Here was the real drama. The cards. And so. Maxwell, I think he got a short, sharp single in the center field of one of the t three or four hits that they got. And he's standing on first. I believe it was Maxwell. He's on first, and he's just looking down over Gentry. The crowd is roaring. And I'm sitting there watching this ball team. It's great hopes, and it's fantastic. Remember the, fan the reputation of the Cardinals? Well, it was like a dynasty. Everybody says, "Why well, there's no, not even going to be a race in this division. It's going to be the cards. They were, the whole argument was whether it was going to be the Giants or the Atlanta Braves and the other division. Nobody worried about this one. And now they're going down to the Mets. The Mets. Well, inning after inning after inning went by. And then it was obvious. You see, the Mets were playing so high, they were so high that it was it was ridiculous. I mean, it really was. The Mets were really high. Now, now I've played a lot of ball myself, and you can, you get the feeling of a high ball club. Now, a high ball club is a club. You know how sometimes in your life you have days when you're really on top of it. I mean, everything goes, man, and you're with it. Well, these guys were higher than down into the Mets, the Mets bullpen, or rather the Mets dugout, right, which you could see right directly across. You know, all walking back and forth, and Yogi Berra kept standing up and taking his hat uh, between innings. He just stands up all the time and stretches. And, you, and I kept thinking, Yogi Berra, the last man in New York to manage a World Series ball club, Yogi Berra, is now an unsung coach on the Mets. You know, this guy, this guy in his day could have taken the entire Mets ball club on single-handed, you know, all by himself. And so he gets up he takes his hat off, see, and he just keeps he just keeps rubbing it back, just keeps rubbing his hair back, and then he'd put his hat back on. He'd stand there and look. 
And all the rest of the Mets, for the most part, were sitting down, and, except one guy, except uh, one of the pitchers. I don't recall which one it was. I think it might have been Kuzman was sitting up on the parapet just watching. Once in a while, he'd feel the ground ball. A foul tip would come back. And then somebody fouled one into the... Uh, what a fantastic hard shot into the St. Louis dugout. It just a wow, you know, pow, you know, went in there, and it hit the back, uh, hit the back, and four of the Cardinals just went flat down, you see. And and Red Chandiest, who was an old second baseman, he reacted instantly. His hand just went up, and he caught it on the rebound. Face expressionless. He just caught it on the rebound, just like a great catch in the dugout, by the way. He caught it on the rebound off the back of the dugout, and he just flipped the ball out. Didn't look. And the Cardinals were going down. But then it happened. The last inning. And, of course, it was a runaround first. Somebody hit a ground ball, and it was a double play. And instantaneously, it was just like, like an enormous tidal wave. Remember, we were sitting down on the ground. We were on the ground seats. And all these people were up ahead, up behind us, like a, like a tremendous banked, uh, like a wall of people. And, of course, standing room only up there. And down as inning went by, inning after inning, and finally the, the uh, ushers had given up completely. They, nobody was being kicked out of the aisles or anything. Until now, it's a solid, packed wall. They didn't even have aisles going down into the box seats. They were just packed. And the instant that last out, give me that thing here, boy, the instant you saw that ball hit in the Crane Pool's glove, I, yeah, it was Crane Pool on first. He whipped that ball backhand, and then, bah! They came charging down. It was just, we, were, we were laying flat, and, and guys were laying on the ground. People were running over them, and they were screaming. Now, you didn't see that on television. I'm sure you didn't. There must have been a dozen people got busted ribs right in that first, yeah, in that first row of boxes. That great crowd of people came running, and they were running on the tops of other people. They were running over them and charging, yeah, just flying out into the field. And I saw, I saw the pitcher, Gentry. Gentry came running off the mound. Of course, the Mets came tearing out of the, out of the dugout, and they surrounded him. And instantly, this tremendous crowd of people went around him. And, of course, they, somebody hollered, Hurry up! Get in the dugout! Quick! And they went running for the dugout because they would never have made it, see? They went running for the dugout like mad. And you saw these ball players. They were running like, like halfbacks and, and like Pucker Fredericks, let's see. And, and kids were flying. One guy went right over the top of another guy's back with a spike, you know. <laughs> and they were charging him. And, from, of course, it was total bedlam. Uh, you probably saw that on, the, on TV. What you didn't see, of course, was that what always happens in a New York crowd. Immediately after the big celebration really got going, then the vandalism started. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, people, uh, you know, busting the seats down, other people uh, caving in the... Uh, did you know they caved in the dugout? And uh, one kid fell off the top of the uh, scoreboard, which must be five, six stories high. Yeah, all of them. Ambulances all over the place. And you could hear horns for miles around. The Mets had won it. At least they'd won their division. And there it was. And I sat there, and Danny sat there, and we watched this whole scene. Two old, real Met fans. And uh, it hit me. And Danny did, was there, too. Uh, we had both been to the first game that the Mets ever played, back in the polo grounds. And, uh, you know, I, I have a few observations to make about the Mets, and uh, I, I will unload them. They are not going to be popular, some of them, another, but they'll be true. First of all, the Mets are not losers and never have been. The Mets, you know, even though you hear all this stuff by uh, Larry Merchant and all that, that the losers bought, they're not. The Mets have never been losers. Losers are guys 
that nobody cheers. Losers are guys that nobody loves. The Mets have been clowns, yes, and they've lost ball games, many, but they've never been losers. You see, New York doesn't really know real losers, and, and it quickly forgets them, genuine losers. For example, if you want to know real losers, do you know that they have not won a pennant in Washington, the Washington Senators, since sometime around the mid-40s? This is 1969, friends. And people keep thinking that seven years is a long time to go without winning the Mets, a pennant or something. Good Lord, the Chicago Cubs won their last one in 1946, I believe. And, and there are other teams that have not won them since maybe around the 30s. The Chicago White Sox went from 1919 to 1959. Figure it out, friends, if you think you know losers. And the thing about it is nobody cares. That's a true loser. When you're losing in front of 228 lackadaisical people, you're a loser. The Mets never had that. And oh, another thing maybe a lot of you don't know or think about when you talk about the Mets the Mets are one of the richest ball teams in the big leagues. I mean, financially. This is a very wealthy ball club. And uh, they have a beautiful stadium to play in. And they, they uh, draw tremendous crowds. They make a lot of money. They can, they can buy a lot of good ball players, and they've done it. And that's fine. But to call the Mets losers is not to understand what a loser is. Now, if you'd like to know about losers, friends, real losers... Uh, I would suggest you pick up the current copy of Sports Illustrated. There's a beautiful story in there, one of the best things I've ever read uh, about professional athletics. Uh, I would suggest you pick up this copy, and it's about the Titans. And it was written by one of the players on the Titans, and the Titans, of course, were the Jets, and they were playing in the American Football League. They were playing to so few crowds that their paychecks bounced. They had no money. They were ad-libbing their plays in the huddle. They went for weeks with nothing but rubber checks in their pockets. They didn't. They even had to ration in the in the dressing room tape. And the, yes, and and the, the 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 trainer would come out and he would give out tape only to guys who could prove they had an actual sprain, not guys that just wanted to brace a wrist. No, no. That's how far down they were. And they remember the one game when they came charging out of the, out of the, uh, out of the dressing room, and they were all up, and they were playing, incidentally, that day, the San Diego Chargers. We all know the San Diego Chargers. They were in, the, in their dressing room getting ready for the game, and they were all sewered up. And, by the way, they, could, they would not issue them clean socks. That's a loser. <laughs> The only time they got clean socks was only during an actual game. And uh, they were not allowed clean socks for practice periods at all. And so, the, 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 yeah, this is the Titans. This is real. And now this is, these guys are playing professionally in the polo grounds. Remember, this is big-time football. And so the day came, they were playing the Chargers, and they came rushing out of the dugout, or the, the dressing room. And they ran out, and they started to run through practice plays. And, and, and the, the guy who was right, Alec Karras, by the way, fine ball player, played on the team, he turns, he says, what's the matter? It's funny. It just felt funny. And one of the ball players says, yeah, take a look at the stands. And he looked around, and all that were in the stands were the vendors. 
the vendors, every ten yards was a vendor standing all by himself. And they played the ball game to no customers. And they, they went out in the middle of the first period and they got all the kids in the neighborhood and gave them free tickets and brought them in so they could have sound. <laughs> now you're hearing what a real loser's like. Uh, but, but nevertheless, uh, this is a great piece. Now, now as, as a Met fan, though, I'll be, of course, it's, it's fantastic. I'm delighted that the Mets are there. But, you know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the Mets. I don't think the Mets are losers. I don't think they were. They were lovable clowns. But that isn't a loser. And, uh, and now, now, I think today the Yankees really are losers. Because you notice the sports writers make snide remarks about them. And, and uh, people don't go out and all. These, these are, they're, they're, they become losers, real losers. The Mets were always lovable Casey or, or lovable Marv or, or uh, you know, old Rod. And I think, I think uh, you know, they're exciting. And uh, I always love to see a good ball team. And this is a good ball team. I think you're seeing the beginning of a dynasty. This is not a fluke. The Mets are a good ball club. And it's not so much of a miracle, really. They're, they're, they're you know, they're a great ball club now. Not great. They're a good ball club. They're not a great ball club, but they're a good ball club. You know, uh, talking about the Titans, if you want to hear a really sad story, the uh, the ball club one time went out. Uh, they 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 were all set to go to the to the polo grounds, you know, to play their game, and uh, they got in the bus, and they're all sitting there in the bus, and the bus driver wouldn't drive them because he hadn't been paid. The big league ball club, and none of the ball players had any money, and so. One of the guys, they, they got pretty bugged, you know, and so one of them went into the hotel, and the hotel wouldn't cash any checks for them at all. And so they took up a collection to get the, the, the nickels and the dimes together that the ball players had and gave it to the, the bus driver. He says, okay, take us to the game now. And he drove them out. And, and I thought, oh, boy, if that isn't professional athletes. And then, then another another little sad incident was Harry Wismer, who... I knew vaguely. He used to be here at WR, owned the ball club at the time. And finally, after it was obvious, it was just not going to happen. The ball club was really in trouble. Wismer came in and uh, into the bus. And uh, they hadn't been paid for weeks. They had no clean socks and no tape and, and the whole thing. And he said, uh, he said to the boys, he says, I want you guys to go out and win this one for my wife. It's her birthday today. And there was absolute silence in the bus. And without a word, he turned and left. He says, I never saw him again. What a dramatic... Uh, uh, really, now this is a loser. If you think the Mets are losers, friends, this is a loser. By the way, speaking of the Mets, let's get back on the Mets. They're the story today. And uh, that was a wild eye. I want to I see, see how many genuine Mets fans there are out there. Who hit... The first home run ever hit by a Met in an actual National League ball game, not the, you know, not the training or anything. The first official home run ever hit by a Met. Who hit it? Now, come on, give me a call here. We'll award you a brass figure key with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who hit it. And I'll, I'll even, I'll, I'll, to, because to, I was out at that ball game, and I'll even give you, I'll give you seven of them, man, if you can do this. Who, what Met got the first hit that any Met ever got? The first actual hit. Who was it? <laughs> and uh, uh, is this guy right? This guy's calling in? Come on, all, all, just give us the name. Don't get in the palaver there. 
All right. Uh, who was it? Was he at that game? Was he at the game? No, he wasn't at the game. He probably is just a historian type. I want to hear a guy who was at the game. Because that was a wild day, too, the, the day that the Mets played their first game. By the way, they lost. <laughs> Wait a minute, did they? Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, they lost the first game. Uh, but they, they lost it honorably. Now, I'll ask you another question. Who was the pitcher who threw the first pitch in anger for the Mets? In other words, the first official pitch that was ever thrown by a Met in a ball game? It's a good question. We're, sh- we're, we're, <laughs> we're really producing them here. <laughs> and uh, that's not that long ago, you know. And, uh, in fact, I'll tell you, I'll give you a clue. The guy that hit the first home run for the Mets is still connected with the Mets. Very much so. Indeed, Emo. <laughs> but uh, has, have you noticed that hardly anybody knows? Not one, just one guy called in, and he knew who hit the first home run for the, for the New York Mets, who it was. And I'll even give you even a further clue. You probably, if you watched it on television, if you watched the Mets ball game last night on television, you saw him. So he's not working in the front office. <laughs> and uh, a lot of people don't know that he did this, but he did. And uh, uh, I don't know what ever happened to the guy that hit the first, but he was a great fine ball player, the guy that hit the first hit. And uh, they had some great ball players on the, on the Mets of the early days. You know, people keep talking about Marv Throneberry, but there were a lot of true greats. Well, all, well, let's put it this way, near greats who played for the Mets, who were at the end of their career, uh, who but nevertheless are authentic Mets, among them Frank Thomas, uh, among them uh, Richie Ashburn. Uh, Richie Ashburn, of course, was one of the best outfielders in, in modern times, and uh, he still is one of the few Mets that ever hit over 300 in a uh, regular season. For the Mets, he did. And uh, Richie was out there. Uh, there were a lot of good ball players. But now, uh, speaking of losers... Uh, Herb Squires, our engineer, he's got a great record. Now I want you to listen to this. Now, if you want to hear, if you want to hear, uh, 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 you know, uh, you can put loser, you can put the whole, you can put the whole feeling of a loser into 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 music far more than you can into words, because most people think a loser is a guy that lost the game. Oh no, oh no, you know, losers, losers are people nobody loves when they lose. In fact, losers are people that often people yell at when they lose. If they even know about it at all, that's the worst part of it. Is to, be, is to lose and nobody cares. You, you know, nobody even went to the game. Now, a, a great loser, for example, is uh, Mayor Daly of Chicago. There's a loser. In a crazy way, he is. And that uh, we got a couple of candidates running here in New York that are losers. I mean, you just see it. You know, <laughs> it's just in the face. But uh, nevertheless, uh, would you please, Herb? Now listen carefully, friends. Oh no, Herb, you're not going to sing now, are you? Uh, sure, Herb, I'll sing my song. Push the boom. I spend my life pushing a broom. Waste my life away pushing a broom. Pushing a broom all the day. Now I've heard everything. Pushing them up. I spend my life pushing them up. Mopping up the slop, pushing them up. Pushing them up all night. Hiram, you're not going to dance now, are you? Yes, sir. You know, Herb, once I was on the original amateur hour. You were? Did you win anything, Hiram? Oh, not exactly. See, I went through a little trouble. I called Ted Nikoff the Godfrey. Oh, I see. Dusting around. Dust my life away. Dusting around. Push away the dirt. Dusting around. Dusting around. All night. 
they hire him, how come you're dancing with that broom? Well, it reminds me of my wife. She isn't that skinny, is she? Well, no, but every time she sneezes, she blows her dress off. You really don't mean that, Hiram, do you? Well, uh, sure. She's got a perfect 36 figure. Oh, really? Yeah, 12, 12, 12. Oh, I see. Well, is she pretty? Nope. Is she attractive? Nope. Well, then she can't be ugly, can she? Ugly? Why, every time she walks the room, the mice stand on chairs. Oh, no, Hiram. Get back and dance for a while. And sing your song. Oh, let's see what I can do. One, two, three, four, scoop. Pushing a broom. Yes, sir. I spend my life pushing a broom. Wish my life away pushing a broom. Pushing a broom. All day. Cha cha cha. Whoopee. <laughs> oh, man. That was Herbie. <laughs> By the way, that was Herb Squires on both voices, too. And, uh, it ain't easy. He'd know about losing, I'll tell you. <laughs> From the heart. But, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating. I, I, of course, a lot of people listening probably, oh, I don't care about the Mets. What's this baseball? Well, you know, it's, uh, I think, I think, uh, sports are far more basic to man than man ever knows that it is. In fact, you know that they, they found that uh, practically every tribe, I'm talking about the, even the most primitive tribes, play competitive games. Uh, we all know about the American Indians, of course, and uh, the Incas, the Aztecs, uh, even the ancient, uh, the earliest Egyptians played uh, games of one kind or another. So games have to be a very basic part of our life. It just has to be. And uh, watching that scene last night, now all the times and years and places that I've seen ball games, I've never felt a thing, a peculiar sense of, uh, of release. And the whole business uh, just sort of coalesced in the one fantastic moment last night at Shea Stadium. Whether or not you were a Met fan, you were really observing a fascinating human Phenomena, and if you didn't care to look at it, you missed something. You really did. Uh, yeah, I, I'm amazed at the number of people who really miss so much of the point of life. Uh, just uh, they, uh, uh, they'll they'll go and, and watch some some uh, sad little play somewhere on Broadway that's about as lifeless as uh, as last week's canned salmon, and believe that they're really experiencing something important. This is an important. Oh yes, they oh they'll defend it down, or they'll look at some. Poor, sad Swedish movie that, uh, you know, if it, uh, if it hadn't gotten a good review from some guy in the Village Voice, would have died as the way it should have died years ago, and think that they're really seeing something important. And, and out there last night, watching this moment, I was far more interested in the crowd and the whole scene and the Cardinals going down. Now, these are real men, you know. These are not figures of uh, fiction. These are real guys who have seen, uh, now, again, looking at the Cardinals, who have seen their entire year go down the drain. And, uh, I mean, there must have been a lot of hopes there. <laughs> In fact, they probably had too many of them. And here it was, the last day, the last moment, and it was gone. And nobody cheered the Cardinals. Uh, there were no cheers for the Cards last night. And they remember when the very same thing happened to them two years ago, and even before. 
uh, out there in St. Louis, you know, when the people were going ape and screaming. When the crowd is cheering for you, there's nothing like it. And then when they stop cheering for you, uh, that's another, a, a totally different feeling. It's <laughs> And to watch them cheer and to, to applaud the others, that's something. And these ball players, just that flat face, that expressionless look. And uh, there was a moment when uh, Tim McCarver, the catcher, he was uh, right directly ahead of us, and, and uh, you could see there was a... He was the only one that I could tell uh, had any kind of an edge on. Uh, he was a little, there was a little uh, combative edge on him. And uh, somebody somebody backed into a ball and ticked him with a bat. I don't recall who it was. It might have been Harrelson or something. Somebody ticked him, just ticked him with a bat. And he backed away. You could just see him. He spun around in an instant. You could see that, that glare out of the mask for an, just, a, just an instant. And then, uh, you know, he... Very cool. He reached down, picked up some dirt, and tossed it away, and flipped the ball out to the pitcher. There were a couple of words there back, and then uh, then there was a there was a kind of a funny moment when uh, Bill White, Bill White, the big big uh, big uh, well, I guess he was playing the outfield last night. Huge ball player. He uh, used to be the first baseman for the Cards. A big, impassive-looking guy, and uh, White was out there kidding around with Grody, and uh, he was at the plate. And Grody laughed, and White said something, and he glanced up over his shoulder. I don't know quite what he was saying, but it was about the crowd, because he glanced up over his shoulder, and I think he was referring to a sign. And I looked up there, and you could see some big sign that said something about Leo DeRocher. And uh, White laughed, and you saw Grody spit, you know. <laughs> he laughed. And these were real pros, you know, out there playing ball. But it was a, it was a, it was a wild, exciting, great, uh, peculiar moment. One of those, uh, one of those coalescing moments that uh, I don't expect to see again, because from here on in, anything the Mets win will only be another win, and only another, another pennant or another divisional title. It's just like uh, I hope Joe Namath is savoring this because he'll never repeat. He'll never repeat it again. The first one is always the important one, and after that. Uh, it's, uh, I, I expect to see in a couple of years big signs out there break up the Mets, uh, you know. And oh, sure, you see. Did you? One, one of the funniest things though was after the ball game when they were picking up uh, guys. You, I went down into the clubhouse area. A couple of the ball players were walking around smoking big cigars. You don't often see ball players in the middle of training smoking big fat stokies and carrying bottles of champagne around. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was all there. But don't think, uh, I, I personally don't think that the Mets ever were losers. Clowns, yes. Losers, no. Because a loser is never loved, not a true loser. And the uh, Mets were always loved. Now, if you like to talk about losers, let's talk about the old Boston Braves. Let's talk about the St. Louis Browns. I mean, even their own fans would come out only to throw stuff at them. <laughs> I mean, and they tried to hit them just throwing stuff out there. So uh, hang loose, friends. Think a clean thought or two. And I would suggest that you choke up on a bat. I think you're digging in a little too much. They're, uh, they're beginning to uh, play you for a sucker.